Welcome to the Higher Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Welcome to Higher Learning. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. And today we have a very special guest, Mandy Shaw, CEO of Blaze Pizza. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm great. It's so good to see you. Good. So good to see you too. I'm so been so excited for this conversation. Obviously, wishing you a happy new year. We're recording just at the beginning of January. Now I already got to correct myself only a few seconds into the podcast. I said CEO of Blaze Pizza, but I know you recently transitioned out. And so don't really want to look back. I want to look forward. I'm really interested to know what's next for you, Mandy. That's exciting because I'm a single mom. And in six months, my second child graduates from high school and she'll be off at college somewhere. So really what has been a 22-year journey with children of being the breadwinner and the person who just had to keep their head down. And I got to focus because I got people to take care of and I got things to do. I may not have had the same breadth of choice in careers, jobs, geographies, and get it okay. What is happening for me is a shift of, wow, in six months, I can live anywhere and I can do anything. And maybe it's time for something new because I've had my five-year journey at Blaze. I loved it. I love the people there. I'm rooting for that team, but I just am ready for the next thing. And so I don't have the plan but I'm super excited because I'm even talking to people outside of the restaurant industry. It's a really fun time for me. Yeah, that has to be really freeing. And it just has to feel like endless opportunity. And you definitely want to take advantage of that. That's not something that you've had a lot throughout your career. I'm sure a lot of it's been travel and focus and being at the level you're at. There's probably always guardrails for that. So I'm really excited for that for you. You have one of the more interesting journeys of anybody I've talked to. In fact, I would say that you're one of my favorite people I met in 2022. I met you like in December, so maybe a little bit of recency bias there, but you just have so many interesting things and so many things that you're good at and so many interesting takes. So I want to start here because we talked a lot about being a female executive and what that's like. You mentioned to me that a lot of times for a female, especially getting to the C-level like you have in your career for very illustrious brands and companies, it can be more of a zigzag than say a straight line where you see maybe more so with male executives. Can you give me a little bit more elaboration on that and tell us a little bit about how that has been your personal experience? Yeah, I'd love to. And I think people underestimate sometimes, people in general, but women in specifics, because you generally have, especially if you have children, a different little bit of a life path, right? Chunks of time where you're not working that people are a little suspect of maybe, and ways that you have to convince people that you do have the skill set. Especially when I moved to California, there are so many like executive women out here. It's just there's so many people, right? And I'll talk to somebody, they're like, Oh, yeah, I do this today. I'm in city planning or something. But six years ago, I was an attorney at insert fancy law name firm here. Wait, what? <laughs> How did you do that? Oh, I had to take time off. It was hard to get back in. I wasn't sure I wanted to do the same thing. So I thought I I wanted to try something new. I'll tell you, for me, it was more about, I come from an audit and accounting background. So people definitely want to pigeonhole you that you're the only the numbers geek and the green eye shade. But I did so much of my career that when I would ask, okay, what's next? After I was chief accounting officer, they said, oh, all the CFO jobs are full. And I was like, okay. And... (laughs) Nobody said I have to be a CFO. Some people have that. If I'm not going to die fulfilled, if I don't have a certain job title or a certain 
set of letters after my name or whatever. And I've just never been that way. So it opened up where I said, sure, let's talk about supply chain. Let's talk about IT. And I told them, I'd really rather do technology. It's such a strategic advantage in anything you do to be able to know how technology works. What are the ways that you can unlock it to push your business forward? So a lot of times people don't expect that, right? When I say, oh, I've been a chief accounting officer. I've been a CIO. I've been a CFO. I worked in international and I've been a CEO. They go, oh my goodness, because I was willing to do things that other people may not do. And I had to talk people into Please don't think of me as a linear, oh, she has to start here and then get slowly promoted. It's one of the better ways to enhance your toolkit because when you're talking to a senior person and you're trying to either get your next job or get a promotion, you can say, oh, I actually have experience with that. And they say, really? Why would an accountant know anything about supply chain? Because I worked with them to implement the system that we put in and I also did reverse auction buying for them. So I understand how that works. And they go, oh, okay, you actually might be vaguely dangerous at this. So it's really the balance of, like I said, these chunks of time and trying to balance raising a human or two in the mix where you've got other competing obligations and trying to have a successful career at the same time. So that's really interesting. And I'm very much a, a make lemons out of or make lemonade out of lemons type guy. And so when you first said that, I thought of that as God, that doesn't seem fair. You have to go this circuitous route to get where you want to go rather than this A to B straight line. But what I'm really hearing is that myriad of experiences that caused you to go in finance and technology, ultimately becoming a CEO probably has helped you a lot in your career. Is that fair to say? 100%. I advise men and women, the bigger your toolkit, what you carry around with you is work experience. And I don't care what level you are, if you're an AP clerk, or even at the most junior levels, what else are you doing? What other opportunities are you saying yes to of, oh, I want to do that project? Because at some point, it will matter in your career. You can explain the differences between the types of people who work in IT and the types of people who work in accounting <laughs> and know how to manage them appropriately, right? You can figure out the internal workings of supply chain, whether you act, and I don't love supply chain. It's not what I want my career to be, but I understand it because I said, I need to learn that because it's so much a part of the operating infrastructure of so many businesses. So if you flip your mindset on it and just say, it is actually important to me to understand every facet and not be snooty about what I think a cool job is necessarily as opposed to something else. It just makes you a broader individual. And that is really a successful factor. Taking on gaining experience. Yeah, I really love that. And that's a good lesson for everybody. And I'm going to I'm gonna check myself here a little bit because I'm going to ask you a question that I got to be honest, I haven't asked a male guest and I'm going to ask it for you, but I promise I will ask a male guest after I ask you. How has being a parent, because you and I talked a lot about this and it's obviously such a big part of who you are and your identity. How did that change you as a leader? Did it change you as a leader? I'm really interested in that balance and just if it made you better at what you did in any way. It's actually a great question. You should ask the men that question. I Definitely. thought you were going to ask me about my hair or my clothes. I was going to get no, it. No, God, no, no, no. I'm kidding. I think certainly as a parent, you figure out the world is bigger than you because you suddenly have your heart walking around outside your body and these other little humans that you can't control. But really for me, the thing that was a big learning like switch point in my career, I always worked really hard. I worked a lot of hours. We When I was at Lumen Brands, every quarter, we had something, a significant transaction, the economy, what it was, I, there were very few points in my career where I can go, oh, yeah, I was working a 40 hour week and just putting my feet up and drinking coffee and then going home and playing with my kids. What I didn't realize, because I always told people not to do that. And I've always talked about work-life balance 
is a couple people had the tenacity because it's hard to tell your boss, right? You obviously don't believe that because you are always here. And I went, oh, no, it really is not my expectation. That was the beginning of Mandy trying to work at home and figuring out, even though I tell people not to look at emails, let me schedule them so they don't show up until not even 8 a.m., but 9 or 10 a.m. because it's not an emergency. This is not neuroscience. We're not, you know, we don't have open heart patients on the table. <laughs> but convincing them, and I've had to do it my entire career, even at Blaze, pretty small team, I would say, look, we're all stressed out. When's the last time you did a personal check-in with the people who work for you? And when have you made them take vacation? When have you told them to set timeout things on their teams, especially a bi-coastal organization based in California? Even I forget, I'm teamsing somebody at seven o'clock at night and they answer and I'm rapping back and forth with them. And then I'm like, oh my God, it's 10 o'clock. I'm so sorry. I bothered you. Please don't respond to me. <laughs> empower them. Like you got to every day, talk it, walk it and push it. And then people start to really believe it. The turning point, I think again, was it's more than just saying it because people are very cynical because they've worked for people who don't actually believe it. There's a lot of people out there saying employer of choice, and they still want people to work ridiculous hours and do crazy things. And I'm not saying you don't have to work hard in life, but what is that thing? And especially because of my kids, part of the reason I left Bloomin' was my son was in my office writing little notes and saying, when am I ever going to see you again? <laughs> and I was yeah. just like, oh my goodness. And it's, he'll tell stories now about, oh, I didn't see my mom till I was 12. He's kidding. But it's one of those things where I put a lot of quality time with my kids. When I was at home, I was wrestling with them on the floor. I was doing slip and slides in the backyard. I wasn't just patting them on the head and asking how their homework was. It was like deep, let's play Clue or let's let's make dinner together or whatever the things were. And I think when you learn that kind of intimacy of like how to make small moments count, I also took that into my work relationships. People are often surprised. Oh my gosh, you answered the phone or you called me back or wow, you're the CEO and you're still talking to me. Yeah, because you matter to me. I can't give you four hours of my day, but I can give you 20 minutes. What's up? How are you doing? Is there something I can help you with? And you hear things that you can solve. And as a problem solver, as a parent, you know how much leverage it gives you. So I started this thing at Bloomin' Brands called Muffins with Mandy. We were going through a huge change. I had an agent, a change agent that was coaching me on how to do this well, which is a remarkable experience that I had. And I would just gather up like eight random people in a room across departments and say, all right, we're going to go around and everybody has to do a little icebreaker, which I hate, but you have to tell us something interesting about yourself and then game on. You can ask me whatever you want to ask me. There's no holds barred and I will do my best to answer you. There are certain things that you can't tell people just because that's how work works. But for the most part, I'm an open book. And one of the most powerful things, we had 150 people in the accounting department. They're all jammed up on the sixth floor decent break room. One of the guys is, I mean, I just hate to, I hate to whine. I really wish one of the microwaves worked. It doesn't work. And people stand there for a really long time to heat up their lunch. And it makes it really hard to do my job. If you hear that and you might be like, you know, the trivia, that's kind of your, <laughs> that's the problem. Initial reaction. <laughs> but it's every day. It's an everyday pain point for people who are like, I just want to eat my lunch because I got stuff to do. And then I got to get home to my family. And I'm like, that's, amazing because I can solve that. I can't solve certain things. If you want to be paid double what you're making or some of the things that people want, or I hate so-and-so over in department C or whatever, 
I could get you a microwave. I walk out, I go to my assistant. I'm like, I don't even know how to do it here. I don't know if we have like procurement people that we're supposed to go through. Please find out how to get a microwave. <laughs> and if you can't, go to Walmart and buy one on my dime and just put it in the break room. And I heard more about that from people on the team. Oh my gosh, Mandy's listening. It's just little silly things like what you do with your kids where you want to be annoyed. You want to be like, oh, you're driving me insane because you're like, mom or dad, dad. But you're like, okay, ah, I'm listening. Yes, how can I help you? And then it moderates and teaches the behavior. So I didn't know psychiatrist or psychologist. I didn't go into it with that. But I do think it is very much melded together about how do you make people's lives a little better on the outside and it makes them happier at work. That was a very yeah. long answer to your question. No, don't worry about it. That was fantastic. I have two follow-up, two things I want to say. I love the idea of living what you are saying because it's so much in corporate culture. There's, we know what to say, but we don't actually mean it or we don't believe it. One of my favorite quotes is, we trust people who we believe their thoughts, words, and actions all align. And so even if somebody is saying something, but you think they're thinking something else, you don't trust that person, right? Or if their actions don't follow through, you don't trust that. So being able to live that beyond just speaking it, I think is super important. I think the microwave story is incredible because it's not about the microwave. It's about you as the leader seeing something and thinking it's important enough to take time out of your day to get it fixed. That resonates with people. That is a microcosm of building loyalty, building somebody that wants to run through a wall for you. So totally get that. And then the last thing I'll say is I'm going to answer the question as the male myself, who's a father of four. I, for whatever reason, decided in a calendar year to get married, buy a house, start my own company and have my first child. Okay. And I have to tell you that having my first daughter, Kayla, at the time when I had nothing and I was barely eating 99 cent burgers at lunch and ramen at night, working all these long hours, the level of motivation it gave me having a child, I don't know if the company as it exists right now would exist without that motivation. There's so many times where that got me through adversity or feeling bad for myself or a challenge that I didn't think was overcomable. And then at the end of the day, that's become my day-to-day motivation to, to do as much as I can to grow a company and have the impact I can. So children are amazing in a lot of different ways. It's like I just say having kids is like being a, in on a roller coaster. The highs are incredibly high and the lows are incredibly low sometimes, but it's just funny how you think about how it can inform who you are as a person, as a leader. And it sounds like that's the case with you as well. I want to talk to you a little bit about culture. Go ahead. Sorry, young daughters, if I may, you tell a lot of men, please go home and talk to your daughters or your kids in general. It doesn't matter if sons or daughters about the stuff that you're learning and doing. There's so many times that there's not really a robust explanation. So I was sitting at the dinner table talking to my kids about having to lay off 35 people at Bloom and Brands when we went through it. And were they interested? No. <laughs> but it has stuck with them. So my son now is 21. My daughter is 17. They play stuff back to me and it's slightly, some of it's not quite true, but the gist of it is there of things that they actually learned from watching somebody have to go through and do these things and talking about little moments that matter and how to motivate people. I think we forget that sometimes. We Everything's like work-life balance. You got to have this concrete wall. There's moments to share. And as much as you maybe are like, oh, I just want to turn it off when I go home and not think about it. It's funny because you do get perspective from these little humans that sometimes will surprise you. Really. I guess you're right. Just be like my daughter's very affectionate. We should have given so-and-so a hug. And I'm like, no, you're right. I should have given them a hug. 
Yeah, I'm amazed at what sticks with kids from what they see and what they hear. A lot of times you're looking for these, like what you look for in adults in terms of engagement and body language, and you're not getting it from your kids. So you're assuming it's not there, but you're absolutely right. I'm amazed weeks later what I'll hear that really stuck. So I think that's good advice. I want to talk to you a little bit about culture because that is something that I'm very passionate about. We've worked very hard in our own company to create a culture that is important. And you've been a part of some amazing cultures and built some amazing cultures yourself. One I'm really specifically interested in is that we talked about your time at Blaze Pizza and how you had the F2BU, free to be you kind of policy in terms of the people that you hired there. That was pretty unique for a retail chain that is serving as many customers as Blaze was. Can you tell us about that and why you thought that was an important thing? Yeah, it's actually part of what got me to come to Blaze at the beginning. When you walk into a Blaze, there are murals on the wall, change the game, make your mark, take a stand. I'm like, oh, this is like speaking to my heart of what an enterprise can be when it it acts like a human and not a corporation. Blaze was one of the first restaurant companies to say, I don't care if you have purple hair, gauges in your ears, tattoos up to here. If you have a smile on your face, you make great pizza and you want to be a part of something and it's a great opportunity to develop yourself, come. And we want you to work here. And a lot of the restaurant companies were still saying, you have to wear those terry cloth things or put a Band-Aid over your, we don't want you to look too scary, whatever. That's what people look like. It is who people are. And you shouldn't judge them, by the way, based on whatever the, the physical appearance is. So a lot of the ethos was there in that. What I realized over the last couple of years is it's changed and is still changing again Saying your employer of choice, there are a lot of people to, I think you said earlier, like lip servicing it. Oh, it's really important. And yes, it is important. So we did things like what everybody else is doing. We created a, a support plan for college funding where you get a free laptop if you go. It gives you discounts also for family members. We got perk discounts where you can buy movie tickets and stuff for less money. Those are all the corporate things that you can do. They're great and you should do them. Compensation is such a small piece of what keeps people happy. <laughs> And if you have this ethos already, why not lean into it? So we did brand work to say, all right, the core blaze is still great. What are we going to evolve it into though? And let's have a tagline so that people actually can latch onto it. And it's this idea of free to be you. For Pride, we sent out boxes to every restaurant that had LGBTQ friendly, like they're not overt, but it's like a rainbow with a blaze flame on it. Individuality, it's about individuality, not just about sexual orientation individuality, inclusivity, and the way you express yourself. And we had people on the teams wearing them in solidarity for, they'd be like, oh my God, yay. And we got more of these and like, hey, Sue, I'm going to wear one because I know you want to wear one and I want to support you. And that's the stuff that creates that culture in the restaurant of what you can do. I wanted to get back to as well, coming out of covid and there were not very many people in the restaurant because we had to do all the distancing and this, and then, and business went downhill. It recovered really quickly. But when you get people back in, they forget the culture. <laughs> so you got to have a way to talk about it, show it to them, repeat it, live it, teach your franchisees, because in a franchise organization, I'm not the employer, right? Each franchisee employs the people that work for them. So you then have to give them tools and tips and ways that Like, how are you onboarding your people when they first start day one? Okay, here's a new little thing we're going to do. Let's take a pizza box. All the team members will write like a little note. Hey, Joe, so glad to have you on the team. Anything they want, we'll put a shirt and a hat and a little something in there for them. So it's like, welcome to Blaze. It's just little stuff like that. Then once we started talking about it and saying we were going to lean into culture, 
we solicited for our franchisee conference videos from team members because I said, I want to hear what free to be you means to you. And we had, you would have laughed, like guys twerking and saying, you can do whatever you want to do at Blaze and just hysterical. We had tears. We had people saying I was on my last rope. My kids didn't even know who their mom was and I hated my job. And somebody told me, come to Blaze. And I was like, well, sure, whatever, maybe. And it's true. Like I live it every day now and she's crying and then I'm crying. <laughs> oh man. And when you show that to people, right? There are people in there who have come from the world of corrections. Like they've been maybe not on the right path of life, but now they've found a home and they say, nobody's questioning me about my tattoos and my art. And I get to work here and I love it. And I have a great team. And I've, I'm now the GM of this restaurant. I'm getting chills talking about it. Like you just watch these kind of human stories and you go, that's it. And so it really was a holistic program of how do you make people want to enjoy what they're doing every day? It's hard work, anybody, it's work. Like anything is a job. And especially working in the food industry, you're sweating. You're standing in front of a 600 degree oven and you're firing pizzas as fast as you can. Why am I not trying to make that a more pleasant place for you to be and make sure you understand how much we appreciate? One of the last things, I'll just give you an example. I started doing shout outs through video. When you get a Google review, right? And they'll say, oh, I was at location 1112. And so just went above and beyond this thing happened. I would just pick up my iPhone, right? Instead of sending a written note and be like, oh my gosh, I just got this Google review and you crushed it. And I just appreciate you so much. Thank you. And people, I was like, I don't know, that's not me. It's not about me, but they're like, oh my God, the CEO sent me a message. <laughs> and my team tried to talk me out of some of that stuff. They're like, Mandy, that's not scalable. And I said, if I have to spend my entire Friday, all day, every day, either writing notes, sending video thank yous or whatever that is, or encouraging people to be themselves. Hey, do a TikTok video for us and we'll fly whoever has the best video to Nashville for two days. Just little, again, things to get them engaged and free to be themselves. That's the best way I can spend my time. Me spending my Friday in a meeting or doing whatever else is, doesn't provide anywhere near the value <laughs> as it does leaning into programs like that. So that was the heart of Free to Be You. I try to live the same way, but you've given me some great ideas and some different things. And like you said, it's a lot of the small things. These aren't big expenditures. It's about time. It's about intention. It's about thought. And one of the things I love that you said was I got into a debate a little while ago with somebody where I was talking about purpose and work and how that can really change things for an employee base or for the team member. And his point was that, well, yeah, maybe for white collar jobs or maybe for corporate, when you have a job that would be considered one that nobody wants, right? That's impossible to do. And I said, that's BS. If you look at companies like Chick-fil-A, if you look at what Blaze Pizza is doing, that could be looked at as blue collar work, but you're giving people a sense of purpose. You're giving people a sense of camaraderie and community. That matters in work. That's what leads to you not leaving for another dollar at another company. That's what leads to you feeling good when you get home. It doesn't mean everything's puppy dogs and lollipops every day. Like you said, it's work. But can you give purpose? Can you give sense of belonging? And you can do that in any vocation, in my opinion. So any. I love that you said that. Any. I, one of the things people underestimate is it's not always about you. There's not a huge backup house in Blaze because everything's made in front of you. My mantra was ignite joy, make people happier walking out of the building than they were walking in. If you are free to be you and you're making people happy, you're putting a smile on their face. They're like, oh my God, wow. And thank you for putting that on there. Or, yeah, yeah, you want some more? Or, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm having a, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Empathy and whatever that gives you job satisfaction. When you're making other people feel better, it's been clinically proven, right? <laughs>
It's actually a natural part of the human phenomenon. And by the way, when you see someone smile, it's very hard not to smile back at them. A dopamine hit. It's, a there's dopamine. a physical response. So yeah. how do you actually take that and put it into your work? And what people underestimate, I'm a huge fan of Mike Rowe and what he does with the trade schools and all that kind of stuff. If we could all stop being quite so snooty, the restaurant industry is one of the last places where you can start at an entry level dishwasher or whatever position no higher education, no additional training. You can just work your ass off and you can become really successful. You can be a GM of a restaurant, make a really good living for your family. You can become an owner of a restaurant. You can own several restaurants. You can own multiple. We have so many stories in this country of where you just start and you work and it's because somebody cared. Usually those people worked for a great GM or owner or somebody who had this ethos of once you're in the restaurant business, you almost don't want to go anywhere else because it's so many people and they're so fabulous. And it's youth and energy. It's like fun. So if it's drudgery in any job, you should look in and go, how do I make this not so drudgery? Because any job is necessary. People are needed at all levels and all functions. I love that. I love that. Listen, I want to talk about hiring because that is the point of the podcast, but I got to ask you one more question before we get into that. You have made the jump, right? From CFO, CIO, to that big seat, right? The CEO seat. If you can give one bit of advice to somebody who's been a functional leader and is moving into the top seat that you know now that maybe you didn't know going in, do you have anything that comes top of mind? It's a great question. It is especially relevant as you become a CEO, no matter what, there are CMOs who become CEOs, there are CIOs, not very many. They come from many different places. A lot of them are operational. The biggest thing for me was the reset. Don't just be like, yeah, I got the job. <laughs> Actually go into it with intent. Think about what kind of leader do you want to be and want to be known as, and what does the organization need at this time? And then talk to your board members individually. You will get more out of them than you do just sitting in a board meeting and saying, hey, is everybody in a lot? Board members are notoriously, <laughs> they edit themselves and then they give you the full scoop when you're by themselves. Plus, they're generally people that are a little more seasoned, right? They have some road scars that you maybe don't have. And when you're one-on-one, -on -one, they're more willing to share, hey, here's what I've seen about you or know about you or what I know from your background and where I think you might have opportunities. And then you can either counter them. Like for me, a lot of people say CFOs make terrible CEOs. And my question was, I suppose you can have that as your tagline. Let's talk about this CFO. What is it about my background, my education, my things that I've shown you that I've done for innovation, et cetera, et cetera, that would make you think that about me? Have you ever heard me only talk about the numbers or do I talk about the business, the strategy, the real estate, the marketing, the innovation that we need and those kind of things? So yeah, I think it's really, again, it is a very different job. It's not just like CFO plus or whatever role you're in. The CEO is much more of a flag bearer and you forget how much you have to repeat yourself. You probably have to do it. Too. You're like, oh yeah, I've got kind of a stable team. I got stable franchisees. Everybody knows what we're about. No, they don't. No, they don't. Every week, every month, you have to come up with, okay, what's the way now? I'm going to remind people, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? That I support them, that I care about them, that we're in this together and that we're going to win. That is a different voice box. But for me, it was like, okay, I got to evaluate that and know that's what I have to do. And it led to, it's natural part of who I am anyway, but transparency and authenticity. I have got to create as the leader of a franchise enterprise, the credibility with my franchisees and my team and my board 
that I got it, right? And I'm not going to dazzle them with interesting things that I'm really just going to tell the truth. And we're going to talk about how we win together. I'm going to say it's going to be hard work because everything's hard work and we're going to go after it. So I think it's just that, that if you really find other people to connect with, especially they say the CEO is the loneliest job, that is in fact true. Because you can't talk to anybody else in your company about, oh my God, I'm so worried. Or so-and-so said this and that, you know, what a jerk. What a, I'll say other words. So we're offline. You can't do that. You have to keep this kind of like placid. It's okay. We're still going to get through it. And that is definitely without an outlet going through COVID. If I didn't have a network of other CEOs where I was calling them and saying, I got to just unload on you for a minute and get a read back from you on, am I crazy here? It's so validating to have other people be like, no, you're totally right. And P.S., don't worry about that. Thank you for venting, but move on. And But I would say also that's in any job. There are very few positions that you're in that actively prepare you for the next position. When I went from chief accounting officer to CIO, which they didn't let me let go of the chief accounting officer, they just gave me the IT department too. I called up CIOs that I admired. And they were not just restaurant people. It was like a cruise ship enterprise, a couple of others that were known for innovation. And I had a notepad and I was like, and people are so gracious with their time too. When you're like, hi, I'm a new CIO. And I'd really like to just talk to you if you could spare 30 minutes for me. What does your org chart look like and why? How do you motivate your people? What does comp look like for your team? This digital word everybody uses. What does that mean to you? And just getting different perspectives from people sometimes helps you craft and like for you as a as an entrepreneur and a startup founder leader of a company you have to evolve so you know the ways that you challenge yourself too on I can't always be the same guy because nobody's ever the same person the whole time so what is the next thing that you can learn I say that's universal across any position that you're moving into that is either a promotion or a lateral move or whatever it is that you just have to take stock you got to stop and go what am I doing with intent? I'm excited. That lasted for a minute. And then I got to figure out how am I actually tackling this differently from anything I've done before? Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it is in a lot of leadership positions and positions in general, but God, that light is just shining brighter on you when you are the CEO, when you are that flag bearer. And so you have to be even more intentional and more conscious and have less slip ups. And we've seen a lot of those in, in, in the years in terms of leadership, both bad and good. So I'm totally aligned with you on that. It's something that, that that's in my mind at all times. So listen, higher learning. We want to find out people who are best at hiring. Why are they so damn good at it? Right. And so that starts with you, Mandy. I know you've probably been involved with thousands of hires throughout your career. I'm interested in particular for people specifically on your team. So I'm going to start here. Do you have an overall hiring philosophy that you keep in mind as you go out and you're looking to fill positions on your team? I do. You got to have characteristics. Like your resume has to look vaguely like what it needs to. You have to have some relevant experience. But to me, that's less important. I'm also one of the people who is probably a little more open-minded about education levels. Like I don't have an MBA. I'm just a graduate from the University of Georgia, go dogs. It's more about you as a human and what can you point to that says that you're going to be of value? Do you have a low ego? Are you not about me? I'm about the team. I'm about how do we do things together? And I want to do the right thing by the company and expect that the company will then also take care of me because that's fair. High intellectual curiosity. I need you to be the person who's constantly wondering why, how does something work? Why would that be that way? Could we do that better? Are you interested in building a better mousetrap? If you don't have that constant sort of mind churn going on, you're probably not 
going to make a difference, right? And I tend to dive into things that are growth mode or maybe a little bit of turnaround mode or whatever. I don't tend to step into jobs that are just like coasters. Uh, So I need a team that is challenging me too. I'm like, couldn't we do that better? And I want to high five you for our wins and celebrate the wins with the team. And then I want to say, all right, what are we doing next year? Like, what's next? High intellectual curiosity. Are you always asking why or how to do things better or what the next challenge is? And then propensity for action. Are you a talker? Because some intellectually curious people will just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and they won't actually go execute on what they're saying. There have been many times in my career where somebody has said, you're too focused on the details. And I say, the reason that I implemented SAP with my teams, not me by myself, on time and under budget, nobody ever does that, is because of really thinking about how do we pull this off? There's so many times it's easy to sit in a meeting with six, 12, however many people talk about stuff. You feel really good. And you're right about things that you're saying need to happen. And then everybody walks out of the room and nobody makes sure it happens. (laughs) Propensity for action. What are the things that you've done to land planes? Everybody can fire a plane off. What are the things you've done to actually make it happen? Who did you convince? I spent, I made a career out of convincing people that did not report to me to do the things that I wanted them to do the way I wanted them to do them from relationships and just nudging and coaching and being present and saying, hi, can we talk about that again? And maybe we could do it this way. So it's really looking for that. It's low ego, high intellectual curiosity and propensity for action. That's my hiring mantra. This episode is brought to you by MSH an innovative professional services and SaaS organization serving customers ranging from startups to the Fortune 100. A truly global company operating in more than 35 markets across three continents, MSH partners with their customers to build the teams that solve their biggest and most complex business challenges. Contact them and find out more at talentmsh.com. Yeah, I really love that. I was talking with a friend the other night who had just started working with this new executive at his company that he was thrilled with. And he was describing what really stood out about her opposed to other people that he had worked with in the past. And part of it was that was strategic, incredibly strategic when she needed to be, but also very tactical and execution focused when needed to be, and was able to blend that with a high intuitiveness and an ability to have the temperament and ability to have empathy and understand and have conversations with people, which made you feel like you're the only person in the room. And the way that I described it back to him was that's high IQ from a strategy perspective, that's high EQ in terms of the temperament. And then I've made up my own that I call AQ, the ability to apply it an application quotient, right? Because it's great if you can sit and you can have this high emotional quotient and you're really smart, but if you can't actually take it and do anything with it, then at least from a professional perspective, you're not, that's not going to be of much use, right? To have those other two qualities be so high. So I love that. I'm going to take some of those notes and steal some of those. And I think it's really important to have that. The intellectual curiosity one in particular is not one that is talked about a lot, but for me, when we want people who are going to come in to our company and as any good secure leader should want, you're going to want somebody that's going to question things. We're going to want, I've had people come in recently and start to assess our business from the ground up in their first 30 days, because I want a fresh pair of eyes and I want them to be asking questions and saying, well, why don't we do it this way? Or why do we do it this way? So I love that. I think that's amazing and uh, definitely going to be applying that going forward. Let me ask you about a memorable interviewing experience, right? Whether it's you interviewing yourself or you interviewing somebody else. When I ask you that, is there one that comes to mind? I'm going to give you two because one of them is just hysterical. 
I interviewed a woman for a technology, I shouldn't even say that, but for a technology position. And she tried to convince me that she invented Alexa and that she was buddies with Bezos and checking in with him occasionally and those kind of things. <laughs> Just sitting there thinking, come on, like you're this little tiny company. And I asked, I was like, okay, benefit of the doubt. Then why do you want this job? Like, what is it about this? If you're that person that is so fundamentally, and I just, I could smell it from a mile away of this woman is full of insert where it hit crap. <laughs> I'm sure she was on the team. I'm sure yeah, she did, did you get to the bottom of it? Did she even have any interaction with it? Or is this just a complete fabrication? I tune out when I'm not. And especially I can't stand lying. If you ask my kids, what does mom hate? Lying. Don't lie to me. You don't have to, whatever you did, I'm sure was sufficient for you to be telling me. So the fact that you're blowing it out of proportion, by the way, does not mean that you checked the low ego box. So for me, it was more like, how do, okay, I'm tuned out. How do I just be polite to this woman? Because it matters to not just be like, get out. Yeah. You have to be kind. And I actually- You got to even give those people a good candidate experience. Yeah, even I, I had to let her out, but I just, I wasn't even interested in using the spade to figure it out. I had no intellectual curiosity in that moment to figure out why she was trying to sell. She also invented the internet and probably is working for right. NASA now and sending ships. She's off to an incredible career. That was a real miss on your part, I bet. Do you want <laughs> this is how life happens. This is, I don't know, four years later, I'm talking to someone totally indirect, different thing, different company. And they're like, oh yeah, we hired this lady that said she invented Alexa and knew, and I was like, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. And she got a really high level position. Wow. I'm going to add that to my LinkedIn profile. I they, invented Alexa. They figured out, they were like, yes, yeah, she had no, and I was like. Your sniff detector wasn't working that day, apparently. That's amazing. What's the other interview? When I was, what, 13 years at Bloom and & Brands. And in my last year there, I just knew I, the door, once you're working somewhere and the door opens in your mind that maybe you're not going to retire there, it's really hard to close that door again. P.S. That's also why it's really important to make people like their jobs because that's when they've already left when the door starts to open. My son was 15, about to start driving. When your kids get a driver's license, you don't see them anymore. My daughter was 11 and... I was working in international. So I was on calls, 12 hour time difference in China. I was on calls at all hours of the day and night. And as much as I was with my kids, the way that I used to be, I was now much more time on the phone and those sorts of things. And I just knew I was like, it's time. And I want to teach my son how to drive. And I want to be a little bit of a PTA mom. And so I decided to take a sabbatical. Nobody believed me. They're all like, I know you have a job. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I'm seriously going to go home and paddleboard a lot and lay out at my pool and just chill out. And a lot of people say, oh, I could never afford that. Let's not kid ourselves on that. I changed my lifestyle drastically to make that happen and probably set retirement back for myself a very long time by just saying, I'm going to take this pool of money and do this thing. I got a measurable time with my kids. I got bonding with my son. I got bonding with my daughter. I baked cookies and read books and all the things. It's still an eyebrow raise for people. So when I started interviewing for my next position, I met with a CEO for what was by all means going to be a very lucrative job for me. Five minutes into the interview, the CEO says, so sabbatical, huh? What's this giant hole in your resume? And are you not concerned about that? Did you really think this was a good idea? And I, I thought, okay, can I just cut this short now? Can I just say to this guy, like you just showed me your true colors? And I will never work for somebody like that because 
I'm not a believer in rigid measurements of what people do and don't do. And if you need time off or take a sabbatical or whatever, I'm not any less intelligent. And I haven't suddenly lost my career expertise (laughs) just because I didn't work for a short period of time. And even people, I know plenty of smart women and men who've been out for five years and they come back and they have whole new perspectives. Worst interview ever, because then I had to still sit there and be polite, answers questions. and, And I had no desire. I just wanted to walk out and go, you showed me your true colors right there, but hey, thank you for doing that in my mind because it saved me from perhaps accidentally working for somebody who would never understand other parenting demands or I've never been an early to work person because I like to take my daughter to school every morning. So I'm more of a nine, nine thirty type, but not negotiable. <laughs> and I would choose the job based on that. So that was one of the worst interviews where I was just like, oh, I was dismayed. That's terrible because you're running a company and you're teaching a lot of other people bad habits if that's the way you actually think about this stuff. Did you Do you think there's any misogyny there? Do you think he would have asked the man that? Or do you think that was just the fact that he saw a sabbatical and he just doesn't respect people taking time away at all? I just don't think he respects people taking time away. Yeah. People, you can, and it's great that you got to see his true colors. It doesn't always happen in an interview. A lot of times you're going to get their, their best self and on the candidate side is too, of course. And then they start working like, oh, who's this monster that either I'm working for or that we're letting into our company. It's good that you found out when you did. Do you have a favorite question you like to ask in an interview? <laughs> Anybody who hears this that has interviewed me will be like, oh my God, she asked that to everybody. I do. I say, I generally say I can read. So I read your resume, but I really would like to hear your elevator speech because hearing it from your mouth, not from a recruiter, not via whoever else has brought you into the company, if it's interviewing for somebody else's position, what's your elevator speech? Who are you? What have you done? And they're always like, what do you want me to start at the old or start? And I'm like, whatever, just tell me if I ran into you in an elevator, what would you tell me about who you are and what you've done? And then tell me what you want to be when you grow up. And I always chuckle. I see it just that you smile. I always chuckle when I say that because it's my cue of, can I loosen this person up? And I give more latitude to more junior people because it is nerve wracking to sit. I don't ever think it is, but like in front of a senior executive of any type, if I don't loosen you up with that question, if you're like, I mean, what do I want to be when I like, no, probably not a culture fit with me because Mm -hmm. I'm very casual. So it's really that. I don't have a magical, like how many socks are in the sock drawer or some of those other questions that people ask. It's more about just trying to get them to show me who they are and get a little glimpse. And then whatever thread or threads I hear that I'm like, okay, that one, I want to dig in a little more because it'll really tell me who you are. It's just a good way to get that. I love that, Jackie. I'm really glad I smiled when I did. Otherwise, the podcast might have ended right there because I got to feel like we got a good rapport going here. So I'm glad I did. I think that's sensational. When Okay, so listen, we all miss when it comes to hiring people sometimes, right? We think it's one thing and then it's quite another when they start working for us. When you look back on the times that you missed, is there a common theme or is there something that you should have done differently that you look back on? Yeah, I love that you recognize that because there's still a lot of people who think magically that hiring is easy. And I always say, (laughs) it's like the 80-20 rule. You can do everything right. You can get amazing references on somebody. Their resume is killer. They fly through the interview. People generally like them. And then they are a disaster for whatever reason, right? They either flub some stuff, exaggerated. They- Didn't Ben Alexa. (laughs) Sometimes sometimes it's things that they can't foresee. Okay, consider Blaze. If you come from a giant organization, sometimes it's hard to come to a small company, like small in terms of the number of people. You don't have billions of dollars. You don't have a team of 50. You have four people who work for you. 
are you able to let's roll up your sleeves, which I hate that during interviews because it's such an overused and overworked phrase, but you can mess up. You can do all the things. The biggest thing I've done to combat it is twofold. I find somebody who's good at it. Like I have a decent radar. I'm pretty good at it, depending on what it is I'm looking for. When I was at Bloomin, I had a guy who worked for me who his track record was phenomenal. I hired a few people or somebody else would hire somebody that he was like, don't hire that person because X, Y, Z. And we'd be like, oh, but no, they're really good. And they're dun, 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 dun. like, I'll do respect. And then they would be a disaster. And the people that he was like, two thumbs up, get that person in here immediately. They were winners. So I had him interview people that were not anywhere. <laughs> I was like, I know this is not related to you. And by the way, I'm going to have you interview with Phil. He's going to laugh because I'm going to tell him about this. We're going to have you interview with Phil and just because, but for him, I'm always like, you're my barometer guy. Cause I know if you and I feel the same way about somebody, it's generally right. When I was at Blaze, my human resource person, same thing. She had such a good knack at, I don't think so. And here's why. And sometimes she couldn't articulate it, but I listened to her gut because she was right so often. I think the tale of that is, Many of us wait too long to correct it. It's really hard because you just know it, right? Either one, during the interview process, there's a nagging, I don't know, there's just something that's not really firing me up, but I don't have enough time to keep looking. It's really hard. I don't have enough candidates in the pipeline. All right, fine. Let me just hire this person because it'll be easier to get it off my desk. You're usually hiring the wrong person when that happens. Yep. So you got to have the intestinal fortitude to say, nope, I know that this is not the right person. I got to keep trying. When you get them in, if somebody is not working out, they generally know. They know, the people around them know, and it creates more tension and more. Usually your high performers are the ones who sacrifice the most because you make allowances for your non-high performers and then your high performers leave. The faster you can remedy that, right? And just sit down and have an adult conversation with somebody and say, this is not working. And I don't, maybe it was me, maybe it was you. I don't know. How are you feeling about it? They generally will say, oh my gosh, I'm either I'm overwhelmed or yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've never been in this position. And then you can talk about, okay, well, what are we going to do about it together? Like, how do we find you your next thing or a next, a new role that maybe would be better suited for you or something like that? It just... The ripple effects of not remedying it quickly, not to be underestimated. Have you had people when you say this isn't working, be like, I think it's going great. Like people are just lacking self-awareness altogether or is that, are they pretty much universally? Yeah, you're right. Not in the hiring side of things. I think people generally are aware when you're not really satisfied with what's going on, but certainly legacy people. If you walk into Outback has been around for whatever, at this point, 35 years or something, people who've been there a lot longer than you. And I've always been told they're amazing. When you have that conversation of the job description has changed, or I need to raise the bar on you a little bit, you in, oh, I'm totally in. Yeah, let's do it. And then they just do the same old thing. That's the harder one where mm. they don't want to hold up the mirror because then it means I'm, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Nobody feels good to come to that realization or I feel know, like that, right? No, but I've had people come back to me it's really an odd thing. I've had people come back to me after and say, you know what? That was the best thing that ever happened to me. You kicked my ass a little bit and I did this other thing and I got this other and now I'm blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God, yay. Cause I didn't, never wanted you to not win, but we couldn't let you just labor under your, 
the auspices of just mailing it in every day or whatever, whatever the thing was, it's people management is one of the toughest things out there. And it's why hiring is so important, which is why I love you're doing this podcast. I listen, I think, and I'm workshopping this in my brain as I think, but I think what I've realized in my life, especially over the last 10 years as I've matured in my career is that what people really respect and want radical transparency with the words chosen carefully, right? As long as you're not disrespecting somebody or making it personal, but I'm amazed at how often I'll have to say something difficult or what my point of view is or give them feedback on how they could be better. And the responses, especially after the fact, right? Like to your point where people have a little bit of time to think about it and view it through that lens, how they are, how appreciative they are. I remember when I did recruit 15 years ago now, and I would talk to candidates, one of the most compliments I got was, I was one of the few recruiters that would actually give them the direct feedback that I got from the hiring managers. You know what? They didn't think that you were very detail oriented and here's why, and here's the explanation. And that's why I would push the hiring managers to give me that information because I wanted to make this person better for the next time, because this doesn't have to be a death sentence. It's just something that you should be aware of. And when you go into the next process for a job you really want, you should be aware of it. And people would stop and be like, thank you for telling me that. Thank you for not running away from the hard conversation. And honestly, that's how I've lived my life ever since, whether it be at home, whether it be at work, whether it be in my friendships, I think you have to choose your words carefully. You don't want to be an a-hole and just be popping off at the mouth and calling everything. But if you choose your words carefully and your intent is good, people want that. They really do. So I think it's a great, great call out by you. I want to ask you both at Bloomin and at Blaze, candidate experience, was that something that you had a hand in? Did you? Did it matter to you even outside of the interviews you were doing, how candidates were taking in your company and what they were seeing. Did you do anything around that to make sure that it was a good one? 100%. Tell me. It's not anything fancy, but it's just making sure that people are aware. And this is one of the things as you age, I'm hitting the part in my career where when I say I've been working for 30 plus years, like really, I didn't know. <laughs> wow, time is flying by. You expect that people know this. Right. We had an interview candidate come through Blaze a few months back. And I was torn to usually I'm very like, oh, okay, you're going here. Somebody's got your agenda. You're going to go do a restaurant visit because I want to see how you interact with the people in the restaurant and this kind of thing. The person that was interviewing this candidate just left. So he was sitting in a conference room by himself. So I come out and I'm like, is everything on track? And somebody was like, oh, there's somebody sitting in the conference room. I went in and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And no, I totally get it. Everybody's busy. And I was like, no, look me in the eyes. I want you to hear me say this is atrocious behavior. It's really bad that somebody just left you here unattended. That's gross. So let me make that right for you. Let me hook my arm around your arm and talk to you some more to make you feel a little bit better. You just, it it's, takes up somebody's time, right? And especially, usually they're currently employed, so they're sneaking away from their employer to come spend time with you. They're trying to check emails or do whatever, but they're trying to put on a good show for you. All you can do to get them a little more relaxed and also PS show them your culture. Can I get you something to drink? Hey, check out this cool thing that we have over here. By the way, our social is streaming on the wall. If you want to stay in there and read it for a minute, like it'll make you laugh. It also shows you about them, right? And do they get fatigued by the end of the day when you're walking them around and boy, that's a lot of human interaction or what are they saying about it? But it does matter if your company or yourself as a leader is important about people and people enjoying themselves and being part of it. Why would you treat your candidates any differently? If they're the right kind of people and they exhibit the same kind of behavior, it's going to send the wrong message to them. First of all, that you're not that kind of place. And on the flip side of it, if they're not comfortable with 
being a little more casual and like, oh man, I forgot to tell the recruiter, please don't, I shouldn't have told you not to wear a suit, take off your jacket, take off your tie. Let's help make you more comfortable. It matters. Cause by the way, it's all relationships too. You're probably going to run into that person again in your life at some point. So why not make it more pleasant? It really is key. Yeah. You can be more spot on. I'll give you a little story to that end. When we in MSH every Monday morning, we do an all company meeting every Monday morning. Everybody kicked off on the right way, discuss things organizationally, give recognition to people from the week before, talk about wins and all these different things. And one of the things we do is when we have a new hire, we ask them questions at the beginning of the session, just to, some of the things we ask them about are, where were you born? Where were you working prior to this? Do you have brothers and sisters? What are you passionate about outside of work? And then the last question we always ask is why MSH? And we get a lot of kind of standard questions, the culture, we got the ability to grow, yada, yada. I knew this person, this young lady who started this week, her answer was, and she's talented. She had a lot of opportunities that she could have selected from before choosing our company. And she said, you know what, what really stood out to me, everybody was on time for my interview and super engaged in the conversation and made me feel like I was valued and important. And that really stood out to me opposed to all the other interviews I went to. And I was just like, Wow. And I said it to everybody. I'm like, you hear that? You hear how important that is, right? So let's make sure we don't mess up that great perception we've set in training and do the same thing and make sure we take care of this new employee. So you're absolutely right. And again, it goes back to this kind of theme that we've been talking about. It doesn't take the big things. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes focusing on the small things and being consistent about them and disciplined about them. And so I think it's an incredible call out by you. So I'm going to ask you a couple more and then I'm going to leave you alone because I've taken up a lot of your time. So I'm going to ask you this first. You've got some time on your hands, right? I know how important your kids are. You're going to be spending time with them. Talked a little bit about paddle boarding. What's one thing you're going to be doing for you? What's something that you're going to take some time right now, whether it be going and seeing sporting events or whether it be reading a great book or going to the opera, whatever it may be. What's something that you want to do for yourself in this sabbatical? Going to the opera? No. I just threw that out there. I don't know. Well, my friend runs the LA Opera. She's going to be like, how offensive that you just said that. No, I think for me, it's not even as glamorous as all of that. I just came back from a week in Key West with my dad, my brother, his wife, and my two kids. And it's the first time we've all been together in four years, over four years oh, wow. uh, because of COVID and the fact that I live on the West Coast. So that, that was already step one of, I want my entire family together for a week. And I want to just marinate in each other. So that's a big part of it. Really, it's fundamental stuff. I spent November and December getting my daughter's college applications done. And it's time that you spend with your kid that otherwise I would have been scraping and scrambling around. Oh, I got to create an hour for you, but I got to get some more work done to really just sit and focus and talk about, okay, let's go through each application. Let's talk about your essay, which her essay, by the way, is how I had to become my own helicopter mom. Like how offensive is that? Wow. <laughs> I'm proud of her. It's Taking like a gloves off. That's amazing. Such a like good tagline though. And such a good story to tell with a mom as the CEO, right? It's really that. Like I, I revel in, it's part of the low ego and the curiosity of things. I revel in the day to day. I don't get a lot of time to do mundane stuff, like decorate my hat. I still looks like Santa threw up in here because he did. There's a lot of that. And I, the Georgia, you heard me say go dogs earlier. My son and I will be at the national championship next week. That's going to be a fun time for me. And then it's really, I'm trying to figure it out. I have friends I haven't connected with in a while. I'm trying to look at other parts of the country because in six months, I'm a completely free agent. I can literally live anywhere. I'm single. I'm, my kids are launched. And so that really opens the world up a lot. So there's going to be a lot of exploratory, like, how do I meet new people? And I also thrive on that. I just talk to random people all the time because that's how you learn. And it's how you find out what new things might be out there. What's the next new challenge for me? 
And then you asked about reading. I'm always a reader. I don't care how crazy my life is. I read books. <laughs> Me too. It's my downtime of I can just like drown in something and not focus and be tuned out to the world. So there definitely will be quite a bit of, yeah, books headed in my way. I love that. All right, last one. I got to ask you, what's for our earlier in their career or younger listeners, what's one bit of career advice you would offer that you know now that maybe you didn't know when you started your career? Oh, wow. Say it. I earned a reputation really in every company when I was started out with Pricewaterhouse, when I was at Bloomin, when I led Blaze, people are very afraid to talk about the elephant in the room. And whenever there's a touchy topic or subject, you have to be thoughtful about how you do it, right? You don't go charging into meetings and yelling about there's certainly enough people who do that. It's more so the thoughtful ways to approach. When I look back on the times when I was more timid about, I really need to say this because this is a problem or it's going to be a downhill, downstream impact that nobody's going to be really happy about, but I don't want to ruffle the feathers. Ruffle feathers. Like you got to figure out if the relationship with the senior people that you're going to be talking to is good enough. And by the way, if you work for a curmudgeon or somebody who's not receptive, you will figure that out and then you should not do it. <laughs> but you should also figure out how to move your career and your job into a place where you are looking for somebody. Just hearing you earlier talk about craving that feedback from your team, that's rare. That is so rare that people actually. Usually the higher they get, the more they're like, I know all this and I got everything covered. But the reality is you get further and further away from what's actually going on in the business. <laughs> so you need people to be honest with you and tell you what's going on. When the new CEOs, like the third CEO I worked for at Plumen, started with the company, she had 15 minute little touch bases with the senior leadership team. And I was still a little bit younger in my career and I just was honest. I was, I said, okay, so you wanted this and I really would like to have an open discussion with you and sweating. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> she referred to it for years. She's like, Mandy's the only person that came in and didn't try to like kiss my butt and tell me whatever she laid out for me. Here's what I think the opportunities are. Here's what I said, because you asked the question. When you do it in a rational way and you earn that reputation, people will start to also use you to do that. They will come to you and say, I need your help to go address this elephant in the room. That's how you become a leader because other people start to look at you that way. So I think it's just learning that at a younger age, again, in a respectful way, in a thoughtful way where you've really pushed through it. If you can present a solution is also lovely <laughs> that you're not just saying, Hey, there's a problem and I don't know what to do about it. That has, has been a huge unlock. And I, I encourage people to do that all the time and to seek out other people who are hired. Yeah. I'm the CEO. My door is open. If you have something that you think will make a difference in this business, I want you to make the time because you're going to feel like Mandy's too busy not. <laughs> I want to hear from you. I want to know what's going on. I want to know how we can do this together. That's what I tell people. That's great advice. Mandy, listen, I really appreciated the time. You are a fantastic conversation. I look forward to carrying it on offline as we go forward, but thank you so much for taking time for being with us on Higher Learning. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for doing this. It's so important to arm people with this information. It's great to see you. I appreciate it. Talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.